Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. On today's show, we are delighted to feature Heidi Dugan, chair of the Australian Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. Heidi joins the show at a critical juncture in Australian-China relations. After several years of frosty ties, Canberra and Beijing are taking steps to normalize the bilateral relationship most notably by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese making a state visit to China earlier in November. Heidi discusses the work Auscham did around the state visit and the China International Import Expo, as well as the broader efforts they are making to improve Australian-China relations. With relations warming, Heidi speaks about her optimism for better trade and investment between Australia and China. She pinpoints key growth sectors for Australian businesses in China, including health and wellness, education and cosmetics. Having lived in China for nearly 30 years, Heidi also shares her insights on why Chinese consumers think so highly of Australian consumer brands. This is a fascinating conversation with one of the most prominent Australian business leaders in China. Enjoy. What I think businesses have misunderstood with the media is that when we talk about diversification, it doesn't mean pulling out of China. It means keep going hard with China and look at other regions within the Asia region that can also support that business. Now is the time. So many businesses over the last three years left the country. So we have the hindsight. We understand business from you know, 13, 15, 20 years ago. We've learned so much and now we've almost got this clear and clean playing field that with the understanding and education, really companies can smash it. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's just a delight to um, to get the opportunity to talk to you. Yes. Well, as usual, I know you uh, usually do most of your talking on your shows. And once again, I'm going to be leaning on you to do most of the talking for this show as well. But first, I want to start. What city are you in that we are recording you from today? Yep, I'm in Shanghai. Is that where you are usually based? Is that where you live? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here most of the time. And of course, you know, travel back to Australia quite often through business and, um, and play. Um, but the majority of the time is in Shanghai. Do you live in the Pudong side or the Pushi side? Um, I live in, I'm a, I'm a true Shanghainese. So you're in the Pushi side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know in where you're going. In part of uh, Pushi, I'm right near Shintian D. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, basically I can walk pretty much everywhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I used to live near the Jing'an Temple. So, mm-hmm. uh, but there's so many fascinating places, uh, mostly on the Pushi side, though. Uh, yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know, Pudong was 
on the other side of the Bund, uh, it was recently developed ever since the early 2000s. It's got, it, in 12 years, you wouldn't recognize it. It went from cow pastures to sky, skyscrapers. I mean, it, it's unbelievable what, what has been done over there. But it's so new. And as Heidi said, you know, uh, for those who know, Pushi's where it's at. All right, moving on. Many listeners are familiar with Ostcham Shanghai and the role of business chambers in general. Now, can you introduce your chamber, paint a picture of the membership, and maybe tell us about the important work that you're doing there? Yeah, so the fundamental uh, idea behind Ostcham is to work with Australian and Chinese businesses that are wanting to do trade and investment within the two countries. And that also expands to other companies that are wanting to tap into those two markets. So we do also have Canadian, American, British companies that join us, but that have some sort of entity in Australia or again in China and they're wanting to move into Australia. So so we support that and we're really you know, the biggest facilitators of connections to get real business results. The idea behind our chamber is that we're looking at what our members do, what they need to grow successful businesses. And that looks, we look at two different areas. One is the successful business. What support can we give them? What connections can we give them to grow? And then secondly, as um, a person, as a family or whoever it is that it's actually living here. How can we support them through that social side of things so that they're enjoying the whole process? I have to get to this. I'm eager to get to this. The big news in the Australian-China relations thing is that the Australian PM, Anthony Albanese, recently made a state visit to China. Can you tell us, you know, when did that happen? Why did he come? And what happened while he was there? Okay, so this has to be, has to be the hottest news of the press. Um, you know, Australia and China have had this incredible relationship for over 50 years. And um, it's been amazing for most of that. And then there were some difficulties over the last probably three, four years. And a sign of uh, change was our Prime Minister Albanese coming to Uh, China and having, you know, uh, diplomatic uh, conversations with uh, Xi Jinping up in Beijing. But also more exciting for us, uh, the business community, is that he came to Shanghai and attended CIIE and we put on a, a, a very big lunch where all of the business community were able to get to hear him speak in person, get to meet him. Um, but what it has actually done is it's it's kind of like broken that barrier and it's opened things up again. After that, we've also had, you know, the uh, the Minister for Trade and Tourism, uh, uh, the Honourable Don Farrell, he came in as well. We had the Premier for Queensland, she came in. And so it was just one thing after the other. And I always think that, it, you know, 
doing one thing is great and it sort of says, hey, listen, we're changing. But when you've got delegations after delegations coming in within a one-week period, it's sending a very clear message to everyone that this relationship is important, that this relationship will continue and that we're going to, from both parties, do our best to maintain that. So it was very, very exciting. I can imagine. Um, I'm also imagining you didn't sleep too much during that week. Uh, a lot to do and a lot to prep. It was crazy, you know. Um, like we really haven't had that many people coming back into town for such a long period of time and everyone came at the same time. So it was, you know, we had New South Wales government, the Victorian government, the Queensland government, they did these big events where they brought their delegations in and it was like going to a party where you saw all your old friends that you hadn't seen for four or five years. And it was just like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, it's so good to see you. So it really, uh, for everyone that has been in China and Shanghai over the last four years, I think the last week, as tiring as it may have been, it's really, um, it's sort of filled us up. It's sort of made us, you know, brought, brought that hope back and it's um, given us the energy and the strength to, to keep doing and to, you know, moving moving ahead quite quickly now. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you're you're kind of the host, right? So I a am lot of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're the you're the host of all the delegations, right? You're, uh, you're yes. really the host of everybody coming in. And yes, I know you are a host of your show. <laughs> but yes, you are also the host for, you know, the big party yeah. in China. It, it sounds like it went amazing, and congratulations on that. I know even looking at Bill Bishop's Sinicism, you know, the, the newsletter and whatnot, talking about is now the time when everybody's going to get bullish on China again. I mean, if you're reading the tea leaves, these are the kinds of things that would lead you to believe, yes, now is the time. And if you want to get a jump and get ahead, start now. I'm so glad you said that, though, Todd, because... You know, up until a week ago, really, there's still been this um, air of apprehension uh, from all the companies that you talk to. Should I, shouldn't I? Let's still discuss it. Let's, you know, we hear this word diversification and people are sort of like, mm, eh. and what I think people you know, businesses have misunderstood with the media is that when we talk about diversification, it doesn't mean pulling out of China. It means keep going hard with China and look at other regions within the Asia region that can also support that business. So, um, so that's the message that I think we've been able to clarify a little bit over the last week. Um, and, you know, as you just said, now is the time. So many businesses over the last three years left the country. So we have the hindsight. We understand business from, you know, 13, 15, 20 years ago. We've learned so much. And now we've almost got this clear and clean playing field that with the understanding and education, 
We can really, companies can smash it. Um, they're coming back in. They're coming in smarter. They're, they're coming in with a proper plan. They're not just kind of riding this wave that they used to, you know, cross our fingers and wish for the best kind of thing. Now people are coming in and they're going, we're committed. This is the long haul. It's not a two-year plan. It's not a three-year plan. It's five, 10, 15, 20-year plans. And that's where we're going to see much more success. Yeah. And that is the key is to come in with that long-term strategy and that long-term plan. Um, that's really the most effective way to, to enter, uh, be successful and sustain that success in China for sure. Now, in reverse, you recently visited the, tar- the Parliament House in Canberra about Australia-China relations. What were your main messages that you're delivering to the Australian government there and the business leaders there when you go back? So for me, there, there are two main messages. Uh, one specifically for government is that um, whilst all of this has been happening, we have still had this incredible support from the Chinese government, the local government. And that's really important for government in Australia to, to understand that, that we did not um, lose their support. I think more so now what's happening is that there's just more opportunity for us to work together. So that was that's really important because uh, the support that's been there has been consistent and it has been uh, on a business level, but it's also been on very personal levels, which I think is a you know, just incredible. Uh, so that's that's the, the first message. The second message is the Australians that are here are, you know, we're sticking our feet deep down into the earth and we're staying and we need the support of the government because it makes things easier. But we don't rely on the government. We always rely on what we can do here. We we ask for their support and their help because it makes things easier. But the people doing business here, you know, Austram Shanghai is commercial. So we are all about what can we do when there are circumstances that are against you, that you're against the odds that we stay strong and that we move together um uh, you know, as a as a group and as uh, individuals, and then finally is for the businesses in Australia. My message to them is about creating that story. For any when they want to connect with the Chinese consumer, it's really all about the story that they create about you know who they are, why they created those products, why they created that brand, and. The story of blue skies and green grass in Australia, although it's incredibly important, it's not the only message that we now need to be uh, sending out there. And it helps us for anything to do with health and wellness. But really, we need to make sure that we're sharing that message, you know, and all the other messages of how we build the business. And we need to invest in China like we would in our own market. You know, Todd, when you set up your own business in, you know, whether it's Canada, Australia, UK, people mortgage their home. They, you know, spend their life, you know, putting everything into it. And for some reason when they go to China, they go, I went to one trade show or two trade shows and someone said I'll take a container. And so they kind of wash their hands of, um, of actually doing businesses in, in this country. And that's the worst thing you can do. What I would love is for Australian businesses to do what they did in their own home country 
and completely commit and um, invest in this market. And then I know that they're going to really reap those benefits. Okay. So as those Australia-China relations warm, what are the main growth opportunities, industry sectors, what have you, that you highlight for Australian companies to be successful in China? So the there are some key markets that we've seen really on the uptake. There is definitely in the medical side of things, and that's everything to do with medical equipment, services, but then also we come into the health and wellness Health and wellness is still such a big uh, aspect where we're talking about the supplements, the nutrients. Those areas are big. They're continuing to be big. The, uh, the other side, I would say, is education. Education has, has been consistently good. I see that now really growing and then the relationships between Australian universities with Chinese universities to become much more integrated. And now that we've already, through COVID, you know, we were so fortunate that we've expanded our understanding of what you can do digitally. So now the uh, education uh, organisations can now sort of lean on that experience and incorporate it into the delivery of their programs. So I think that they're the, they're the big ones. Um, the other one, I suppose, with me personally that I see uh, a really interesting growth is the cosmetics industry. There's been some real um, breakthroughs with, um, with being able to bring cosmetics into the country um, that with the no animal testing. And so that's meant that a lot more uh, brands are now going, okay, I want to do this and I'm committing. So this will be a really interesting space, I think, um, from cross-border into general trade over the next year to two years. I want to next focus on consumer brands specifically. Australian consumer brands haven't been affected by market access restrictions and are generally very strong in China. What are some of the most popular Australian brands in China? Which sectors in consumer brands do very, very well? And why do you think the Australian brands resonate with Chinese consumers? Yeah, so probably the the first, uh, the two areas that I look at and because I'm working with them a lot more closely is um, the, the wellness and the cosmetics. So for me... You know, we've had Blackmores that has continued to do very well over the years. They have, you know, full offices here. They've got teams. They're completely integrated into the system. They've been, um, they've, they've really stayed very, very strong with it. Uh, another interesting company that uh, I found fascinating uh, called EZZ, they are working with NMN. Um, supplements and they have been here I think sort of around two to three years they've just done an incredible partnership with high C and that is multi-million dollar partnership that will really grow their business exponentially and they're a listed company in Australia um, and then another one which I found uh, actually is really interesting is a Chinese Australian man and his wife set it up and they they moved back to China and um, they are the number one uh, skin whitening supplement on the market in TikTok, um, and they're called uh, um, Viera. So I think that that they're an incredible example of real success in the market. 
Uh, yeah, so those three, I think, have been very interesting. Why do the Chinese consumers like these products? Uh, Australians for a very long time have been the number one health and wellness, uh, you know, I would say brand in the world. Now, um, and it is very much because of the level of standards um, and certification that they have to pass in Australia before it even leaves the country. So it's just well known here. Chinese people do their research and they can see quite clearly that the Australian health and wellness industry is, you know, is really next to none. It's just top of the game at the moment. So the Chinese want to buy something that is quality and that is um, effective. What is your your take on the sentiment among Australian business community leaders towards China? And, and I'm including both business leaders in China and back in Australia. If I look at it two ways, the leaders that are in Australia that have not had the opportunity over the last three to four years to come into the market, uh, they are still you know, I think apprehensive. I think that over, as I said, over the last week, it's made a, a massive difference to the tone or and the message that's been set out there. So I think that there's still that apprehension. Now, we have had hundreds of Australians over the last week come into the country. And what the, I think the, the sentence or word that I heard most was, Oh my goodness. Oh wow, wow, cannot believe it. I think that a lot of people thought that over the last three, four years is that Shanghai, China's been leveled and that it was sort of, you know, boarded up uh, buildings and that. It, you know, it's nothing like that. It is an incredible international city. So when they come into town, they just go, Cannot believe it. Absolutely cannot believe it. It is, you know, as it was before, better than it was before, or if they've never been there here, they're just going, like, if only I came earlier. So um, so they're the people that are really important. They're the important people because they go home to Australia, they post it, they talk to, you know, the other people in their businesses, they go back to the boards and they then share this message. And if they can share one message, I think the best thing is, if you don't believe me, get on a plane and fly over here because when you're here, you just, you instantly understand. How long have you been in China? nearly 28 years. I can't even speak to to that long, but I remember the old days, call them a little bit, you know, 2000 to 2010. That was when you really saw, especially when the iPhone came out and you saw a billion people have access to the internet. I mean, everything was changing and and, and there was Tencent and Alibaba and Baidu and, and then of course Xiaomi and, and, and it was just gangbusters going on. And then there was this 2012 to 2018 flood of people who came in and then COVID kind of happened. And then a lot of people wanted to go back home. They were taking care of loved ones and, and whatnot. And there was kind of a, a, a bit of a, just a retreat back home uh, for, for a million different reasons. I think the opportunity in China has remained the same. Some of the rules, like, you know, China continues to grow up. 
and they continue to put the same restrictions that the EU or North America put on products or imports or what have you, I think some of this feeling of apprehension is just because things have changed. They haven't gotten worse. It's still amazing. It's still the best opportunity on the planet if you want to grow your brand. You just have to keep up with the changing landscape. And it changes a lot because there was a lot of changes that needed to be made as China has grown up faster than pretty much any other country has on the planet to date. So ergo, it's still amazing. You go there. It is absolutely vibrant. It is just bristling and bustling with activity. And yeah, like you said, if you don't believe the hype, just get on a plane, go put your boots on the ground, and you will quickly realize this is the place to be. I want to keep moving forward. I want to bring up CIIE, which you brought up, the China International Import Expo, which you had talked about. I'd like you to maybe just tell us a little bit about CIIE and your experience there, and a little bit more about the Australian presence that was actually at the expo, any takeaways from the event that you saw. So CIIE, this is the sixth CIIE that we've had in Shanghai, and it was, um, I would say, this is this was a, a, a project that Xi Jinping really invested in the first few years, um, you know, in really sort of opened all of the uh, the expos and um, it was encouraging not just individual brands but also countries to be very much a part of it. And the whole idea is that it is the biggest international expo in the world um, for this region. Now, uh, over the last few years, it sort of, I would say, uh, it slowed down a little bit just because of technicalities. People weren't able to come into the country. And so we had, uh, you know, organisations like Austrade, Ausjam helping and representing at CIIE. So this CIIE was the probably, I think, the biggest and the best because it was everyone was coming back in from all of the different countries and people, again, were excited. They were invested in it. It's unlike, if you have never been to it, it's unlike the basic trade shows that you go to. This is high-end trade show. This is quality trade show where each of the booths are doing, you know, contract signing, taking photos, putting it out in the media. They do a, um, at the end of CIIE, they put together all the registered contracts that were signed and they say, this is how many contracts were signed during this period of time. So, um, so that that's a really important thing to to note that they they are all about the conversion, um, and a lot of trade shows are not about that. So that's interesting. Um, Australia had a massive, massive presence this year. We, especially in the food and beverage area, we had a huge pavilion that sort of covered Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, amazing. And then, of course, also we've got in the health and wellness, we had big one from New South Wales uh, and also with Blackmore. So, uh, yeah, it was in, it was incredible. It's worthwhile doing. It's worthwhile going to. Um, uh, but, but really, this trade show is different because it's about the conversion. That's what they're recording, about the connections and the conversion. Well, I'm not surprised about the food and beverage. For those who have been hiding under a rock, Australian beef and Australian wine, like, Seriously, you you just you you can't beat it. It's been a, a busy few weeks, obviously, with CIIE. You had the PM visit. There was also this tiny little shopping festival that has happened. 
It's a, it's a, a little thing called Singles Day that we talk about all the time on this show for four years. Can you tell us what your takeaways were, what your experiences were with, you know, with Singles Day and what you were seeing from the Australian brand side of things? Double Eleven has been such a big thing. And honestly, the marketing that's been out there is just absolutely insane. And, you know, the fact that it used to be one day and then now they extend it to almost a month because they just didn't have the capacity to be able to deliver and to send the products. So I think that in itself is just an incredible thing and it's completely thought up by Alibaba team, you know, uh, you know, oh my goodness, like if only we could do that in our own countries is, you know, just invent this, um, uh, this holiday. Uh, so this year was so weird for me because double 11 arrived and, um, someone commented to me and said, oh, have you gone and bought, um, uh, you know, a whole heap of stuff off double 11. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, is it today? And it was the weirdest thing because I'm in media and then in business, all you normally hear about is double 11 during this period of time. I did not even, I didn't hear anything about it this year. And it's not to say it wasn't happening. I think it was because we were so focused on CIIE and about what was happening. I just didn't see that there was as much of an impact in the market this year. And I imagine that there, there is a very good reason behind that. You know, um, as you were saying, the, the, the sales that happens during this period of time over the last, gosh, 15 years has been incredible. Um, everything is stabilizing. I won't say because people talk about, oh, it's all slowing down and stopping. China is so big and it makes, its growth is always exponentially bigger than, you know, Australia. So um, it what is happening is things are stabilizing and not just being this sort of a, a gold rush. It's yeah. about stabilizing and being part of what we do instead of it being a craze. So I think that this year, yes, it's still very much a part of the uh, a lot of brands, their marketing um, strategy, all of those different uh, festivals are part of their strategy, but it's not the only thing. Back in the day, there were companies that would only come in for double eleven, and they could make their their money for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And I think that those kind of days are over. Now it's it's becoming better business. It's becoming much more stable. It's becoming much more even. And people can really sort of understand they can properly uh, budget or forecast what they're going to do, what they're going to make and the expenses that are connected to it. Yeah. So um, yeah. Double Eleven was a bit of a surprise for me. It, it sort of turned up on my door and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. And I think also this has got a lot to do with the Chinese government's uh, positioning. They they don't want people just spending money, uh, you know, for things that they don't need. Um, they, they are really reinforcing that idea of sort of bunkering down. Yes, you want to spend, but be conscious about that spend. It's funny because they did promote really let's spend, let's, let's spend, let's consume, you know, and, and drive that. And now it's a little bit of Let's be a little more financially astute and not 
go crazy because the numbers, I mean, Singles Day is the biggest single shopping day on the planet, right? Uh, and you mentioned that it has, it's still as huge. It sets records every year, but then there is 12-12 just around the corner, right? We have 618. So, and, and those have all grown in massive popularity as well. So I think it doesn't have to be all resources don't have to be just driven to 11.11. And everybody's trying to keep up with, with live streaming and, and whatnot as well. So now, speaking of that, and speaking of media, which you did mention, I want to now pivot a little bit away. I want to talk a little bit about, and we saved this for later, I want to know more about your 27, 28 years in China. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up in China and what you've been doing since, because obviously I'm trying to, I want to get to the show and the other things. So please tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up there. Yeah. So my background um, is was acting and I uh, was going to go UK, US and got this opportunity to um, study international trade in China. And I thought it was interesting just if not just to learn more about myself, go to another culture and sort of, uh, you know, move forward, uh, growth, that kind of thing. And then when I came here, I, um, I, after I'd finished studying, I got a job in Shanghai in real estate. And that really helped me sort of uh, connect with a lot of businesses. We're working mainly with the business, um, uh, you know, them sort of coming to uh, Shanghai, so helping their senior management find, uh, you know, properties and what have you. So it was through that. And then I very early on, uh, again, through a connection, um, met someone that was at the TV station. And at that time, Australia, well, foreigners could not be TV hosts. And I was co-hosting another show. And then um, it, it was actually a law that was passed that on the international channel that you could have foreign TV hosts leading the show. And so the first show, and I was the first uh, foreign TV host in China. And it was with my TV show, You Are the Chef. And that was incredible. It's been on air for 23 years. It's a daily show. It, um, it has, uh, you know, a, a following of over 6 million uh, viewers daily. And the it's really incredible because it was... It, it's really a cult following, and I didn't realize at the time what we were doing until I was filming some other shows and there were chefs on it, and they're just like, oh, my God, I watched it because I learned how other chefs were cooking. And it was the first time that they, we brought them out of the kitchen and we were actually learning skills and techniques. So, uh, yeah, so it became a cult show and people have you know, unfortunately, the, the, the comment is, is, I grew up watching you. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, okay, or my mum watches oh, no. you. Um, yeah. I'd be like, all right. <laughs> Damn it. I know. Um, so that's really fun, but it also meant that I was working with a lot of food brands and hotels and um and then I started connecting a lot more with those brands and representing them as an ambassador. And then I set up a trading company, which then um, sold off. And, uh, and, and you know, I continue to work with brands, albeit, you know, very small select group. 
and either here in the country or that want to come into the country and help them sort of connect with the consumer, connect them with the right importers, distributors and things like that to grow their business. And then, you know, the other bulk of my time is really about connecting with my consumer on social media. So I have over 250,000 followers um, with my personal media and we work with brands on that. You know, uh, we're very much focused on women and, uh, you know, business women who are, you know, taking their life to the next level, making sure their families are healthy and happy. And so we focus on any brands and products um, or concepts or philosophies that can actually help them to do that. Well, I know. So where do I start? So through COVID, there was a lot of cooking at home. You had a billion people suddenly relearning how to cook at home. So that must have been tremendous for the show. And we know that just from the data of the consumables from from blenders to pots and pans to you know everything that was now skyrocketing in, in purchasing that was all e-commerce kind of driven. I got a question for you now. After all of that, how good of a cook are you? I'm pretty good. Um, it's really funny because uh, I think having learned so much, having so many amazing chefs um, beside me, um, I'm really one of those cooks and I have to you know, I feel bad saying this, is that I just am terrible at following a recipe. So uh, I'm very good at sort of grabbing anything and everything. So when I cook something that people like, they go, oh, can you give me the recipe? It was like, I have absolutely no idea what I did. So, um, so yeah, I'm a good cook. I'm probably, I would say, better than being a cook is that I've got an, an incredible palate. So, um, I, you know, I'm able to taste the subtleties in flavors and things like that. And even I've worked with the UK Department of International Trade and grown their whiskey and gin tasting to over 10 million viewers. And, you know, I can very quickly and easily say how, what percentage of alcohol is in it, you know, have they, what sort of juniper have they used, you know, natural flavoring or non-natural flavoring have they with their beers, you know, have they used the hops from Australia? So I don't know. It's just it's something that wasn't deliberate, but having tasted so many things and having had those opportunities back to back, um, I think actually I've got a really um, incredible palate to be able to taste um, and to understand food and drink as a, as a result of it. Well, I guess uh, for all the Schitt's Creek fans out there, uh, Heidi probably does know how to fold in the cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I love that one. Isn't it? That's one of the absolute best. Uh, Apologies for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. You should go and stream that show. It's amazing. Now, what is it like working and a little bit inside baseball, if you don't mind? What's it like working as a TV host in China? Ah, look, it's amazing. Um, You know, we've been doing it for so long and the team love doing it. Like, really, we've had retired lighting man, um, sound man, because they just love, you know, coming along with it. So it's like a family. Um, It's... It, I think it's different to if, if I had this show in Australia, I think it, my life would be quite different. Um, the Chinese are always, you know, the media are very, very positive. I've never had anything negative said about me in the media here. 
Um, the Chinese people are incredible and very respectful about coming up and sort of, you know, saying hello and introducing themselves. So uh, I, I pretty much lead a normal life and get the opportunity to meet a lot of people if, um, you know, if I'm out and about, you know, when they come up and introduce themselves. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, it, what the show is is not what I am. <laughs> so I'm part of that process, but for me, um, it's just me being authentic, I think, on TV and so, you know, just doing what I do and what I love doing every day. So that, I think that's a really good place to be. Okay, last topic of conversation for us. And I want to say this correctly because I actually didn't get to confirm how this is said. And and the French of, of my Canadian upbringing Makes me want to say arete, but is it arete mastery or is it arete mastery? It's arete, so it's ah, a Greek word. It. <laughs> yeah, arete. Uh, um, okay, arete. Tell yes. us about arete yeah. mastery, please. So, so arete mastery is my business. It's what holds and uh, the company. It's the business that acts as an advisor for other companies coming in. Um, uh, the, where the people that are on the ground that get that sort of oversight of what's happening. And it means that through my team, we're able to support those businesses to help them grow. So, um, yeah, and, and I think because of that, it's also, you know, opened up so many opportunities. I'm also the um, uh, on the board of University of Southern Queensland. So, and it's because of universities wanting that China connection or understanding of what's happening here. So, um, Arate's may uh, allow me to also, because of our unique standing and a connection also with the consumer, it gives me such an incredible oversight about businesses coming in, but then also the consumer and then connecting those two. Yeah, keeps your finger on the pulse too, uh, I, I find. There's there's always something to be said for a little bit of consulting on the side, although you might do a far more than a little. Now that I, I've got that, I just want to give you one last opportunity uh, to maybe help our guests be able to follow you, to consume your content, uh, to be able to get in touch, to be able to reach you. Please tell us where and how and the best way to do it. Well, the easiest way is to go to HeidiDugan.com and then also LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the, the best uh, and it's Heidi Dugan. So if you search me, you'll find me, uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy to do. Um, and I'd love to hear from, you know, if anyone's got any questions or wants to reach out to find out more about the China market or what I'm doing, uh, be very, very open to uh, having that conversation. Awesome. Well, it's great when our guests are set up and have easily findable profiles that have links and so forth to be able to get in touch or to find the content or what have you. So Heidi Dugan, Chair of the Australian Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. As a reminder for everybody, if you are listening to us audio only, please don't be afraid to go and check out our YouTube channel and the YouTube shorts over at the WPIC YouTube channel. And for those watching on video, if you need your eyes for everything else that you might be doing, please feel free to check out the audio version on the podcast available on all your favorite podcast platforms for myself and for everybody at The Negotiation and for Heidi. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. 
The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.